Since my teenager, dream for this scenario. Ah, finally, in my lifetime, deliver. It's a God miracle. <laughs> Lord, Pango Lord works in mysterious ways. So, are you confessing right now, Reza? <laughs> <laughs> are you <know>. confessing? <laughs> Can we take this as a confession? <laughs> You, there were few parts of the house that you didn't show me last time, huh? Mm -hmm. There were there are few parts in your house that you didn't show me last time. Were you working on? That's why you were in such a good humor because you were were getting closer and closer. Yeah, uh, to be honest with you, uh, at this point, oh my god! So I made the fucking mistake. I hope that she's not here. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, Miguel told me that uh, his partner was taping the stuff, and my God, Kristen uh, has bought different tapes and making compartment zones of decontamination. My no, no, Jesus, no. fucking! Christ. I don't want to fucking like. Fuck <laughs> Jesus Christ! <laughs> I yeah, said I that. Military should be involved. I didn't mean it like this. <laughs> so you have different quarantine songs, basically. Yes, yes. Decontamination stations. <laughs> oh my God. The Berlin Wall at home, huh? Or the USA, the, the, the Mexican USA border, we all are incorporating them in our homes. Oh my goodness. I, I would say that this is worse than Berlin Wall or the Mexican Wall. I would say that this is the definition of medieval fortress, where you have different layers of walls and fortifications. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. The, yeah, the thing is that it looks quite futuristic insofar as it is as the a death stranding video game like self-isolation but waiting for your delivery of alcohol or yes. video game. <laughs> I'm going to I'm going to play it by the way. I have ordered it. I am like I, I really want to ask a friend for the because I don't have the PlayStation 4 like but I want to play it. And at the same time medieval uh, techniques of it like, is, avoiding the play medieval in its <laughs> essence yeah I, I think that it's truly medieval in its essence yeah and um, with the big doctor being your wife or your partner oh shit, <laughs> jesus christ my god that's a rather too intimate i would say <laughs> well, this is the interesting thing that uh, the intimate is becoming very, very public. I mean, we all are getting to each other's houses. We see how they're decorated. I mean, there is also, uh, I guess, class comes into, you know, like what kind of place, what kind of space do you have? What kind of... Uh, do you have the ability to talk or not? Do you have a space? You don't Absolutely. Have a space? It's to, I, I actually have been thinking about this. It's the boyer's wet dream. Remember, you know, uh, when you are a boy or 
you are a girl. You pass in a posh, uh, pass through a posh street, and through the lights is and, and the window, you see the interior of these houses, and you ask yourself, who is living there? What is their life? At this point, you don't need to ask that because you are. You can easily go and see it by yourself. <laughs> yeah. I was thinking um, if you want to, because you, you comment something regarding the yeah the 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 military aspect the 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 control where where we should um, submit ourselves to the power of the government or a centralized control in order to protect ourselves from this external uh, danger. In, yeah, a threat that it's almost like kind of feudal situation in which you need the help of the Lord the feudal lord in order to protect yourself because obviously you have no other resources yes um, I'd say what we are dealing with here is that I mentioned last time unfortunately we haven't uh, come up with an alternative absent the alternative uh, unfortunately, the state becomes the main player. And once the state fails, and the state doesn't fail just overnight, it, is, it fails over a gradient, you know. Uh, it, it has different phases of collapse. Uh, and once the state fails, then we wish we could be in the old world. Now, some people might say that this is actually a good thing, you know, precisely because it allows us to think differently, to think outside of the bounds of a state. No, you are still thinking within the bounds of a state. Precisely because 
you didn't have the alternative, an other world other than the supremacy and sovereignty of the states who is protecting you, you are now seeing the failure of the state and say that, okay, we are going to basically make a lemonade out of it. But that's just rubbish. I mean, what I find interesting is that um, <coughs> in the last times before this happened, perhaps, uh, the role of the state was becoming more and more put into question as, you know, the role of the state as the one that is able to control uh, and manage the working classes was being put into question. And then we now simultaneously we have uh, a big um, a stop in the workforce, uh, and on the other hand, the state is going to need to take care of all those loans, of all those uh, debts, wages, and, debts. Yes. It's gonna try, it's and, the, in, and, and the upcoming austerity plans. Yes, of course. So it's gonna. Is gonna have to come up with some kind of answers as you are saying the question whether is whether everything is gonna just uh, collapsed or that would uh, be my wish the, but unfortunately I think I, I'm too optimistic about the doom so how do you think the relation because the last time you were saying about these mega mega corporations but the mega corporations work at the global level but then we're going to have a kind of a structuring and uh, economic it, uh, implementations. Yes, I, I think, I think you see... Uh, the national level. So how do you think this the interrelationship between the these uh, mega corporations will work in relationship to the state? Okay, there are, uh, I would say that... Uh, um, I can come up with two immediate scenarios, and yes, there would be other alternative, other ramifications, but I just want to talk about these two. One is that a state goes bankrupt, not economically, but rather uh, as the governing body. And um, in that case, if there are, in fact, mega corporations, they will take the charge of uh, mobilizing stuff around making sure the economy will be fine. And, and of course, that comes with a price. Now, the, this is what I would say the optimistic which is bad already, the optimistic option. The worst option is when <coughs> mega corporations are basically um, deprived of resources, workforce, to such an extent that even state 
which is now struggling, cannot bail them out. At that point, we are in the business of total deterioration. Mm. So you think it's possible to um, resituate ourselves in a political as individuals or as collective as as a kind of society that uh, goes through this collapse of a modern Western uh, liberal democracies facing an economical crisis of, of this sort, this weird economical crisis. Um, I am interested, interested in exploring what kind of uh, economical uh, freedoms are we willing to get rid of or in, in order to uh, calm down this kind of panic state so in the same um, way as uh, now for a lot of people at least in Europe seems reasonable to prioritize uh, healthcare or to prioritize the control in borders or um, the national control of the uh, electricity supply or the national control of hospitals and private uh, hotels in order to yeah provide healthcare during the crisis since we are going to cross this uh, immediate economical disaster uh, what kind of freedoms like economical and political freedoms what kind of uh, social contract we need to build again after a yeah a global pandemic you know what i mean yes it's I think that at this point it's very hard to say. You see, uh, I always thought that, you know, uh, for species like us who had co-evolved with civilization, namely entrenchments of certain kinds of rules uh, that apply across the board, it is really difficult for us to imagine a different world. So with that said, I would say that <clears throat> my guess, of course, as I said, the optimistic guess, that if we can actually survive this, um, and mega corporations don't, become the ultimate superpowers at the end of the day, which they might, I'd say that our best bets on open source 
economic paradigms. In the form of something like a, a blockchain or what kind of... E most yes. probably, yes. Because uh, not, not just cryptocurrency, but I would say that on any uh, level, that we will move... But, I, but, but to be honest with you, my pessimistic side tells me that that's just bullshit. Yeah. Yeah, I agree because something that I find interesting from these days, and I am pretty sure you show you both of you saw this on social media, and so is this kind of liberal uh, character that it's saying uh, and tweeting about, oh, this is very sad. We are handing over our privacy, etc., for forthcoming, let's say, immuno passports or geolocation, et cetera, et cetera. I'd say to these people, kids, the least thing you need to be concerned with is your goddamn fucking privacy. Yeah, and as well, these people, probably they are posting this on Facebook and they share previously their political inclinations in echo chambers, et cetera, et cetera, yeah monkey flakes dancing around at this point. So, uh, I'm not sure about the, the, um, the situation regarding a uh, blockchain. It's, it's maybe it's not a, a bad solution or something. something. It, it is a paradigm. We should think it not as a solution, but as a blueprint. Yeah as a blueprint. And if we manage to think about it as a blueprint of things that we can construct similar to that, yes, I would say that and as well we can dredge up ourselves from the bottom of the pit. Uh, the thing is that satisfies uh, this uh, attraction of libertarians towards this bypass of the third trusted party, let's say central government, central uh, banks, etc., precisely because of its structure. Yes. But um, yeah, uh, I don't know if it is representative of our times or if it is representative of the time just. Before, no, to be honest with you, it's project. not representative of our time. It's not representative of our time at all. It is not. In many times, uh, the greatest civilization, the greatest superpowers endured uh, such calamities and actually came up with such solutions, which were underperformed, under-executed, and now we see ourselves within this deep tradition that we think we have a kind of a bipolar attitude toward the state, either get rid of it or maintain it by any means and at all costs. I think that these are all pathological. But I think, um, I think it's a very 
interesting point. Like I have uh, regarding blockchain. Uh, blockchain. Uh, I know somebody who is developing an alternative to Bitcoin, uh, which is called Faircoin, and is not. Uh, it has like a stable price, so uh, one cannot speculate on it, and is developing also a community around it. And and they have services in order to avoid. They have bank services. They have actually made the bank of the commons. So they have services that they try to collectivize or or hack the legal system, so other people can use it. So you don't need to rely on the state. Okay, it's there are very interesting alternatives. We try to surpass the state. But obviously, in terms of health care, they are not able to provide because this community is not big enough. So, it's a... Uh, yes, yes, this is... This, uh, however, I would say that this uh, predicated on the fact that, uh, you see, the way that we are thinking about living this world, this wretched planet, so we are postulating other worlds other alternatives but all those alternatives that at this time we are postulating are in fact subsumed by the present by the here and now by the kind of systems that we have in place but just imagine that if such systems deteriorate then there would be actually a leverage if these people are not cognitively lazy to expand beyond the borders of the state, beyond the wall of the state. Yeah, I mean, blockchain provides a timestamp, provides a record. It's already functioning with Bitcoin. We could have a record now of our current uh, health situation regarding COVID-19 if we had access to the tests. <laughs> this could be feasible, actually. Yes, yeah. yes. No, it, it is feasible. Uh, it's just that I don't think that it is practically tested uh, in the sense that I don't think that it will be effectuated at the end of the day. It might, it might. I don't want to be sounding extremely pessimistic on this front. But look at the US. Do you really think that the US is going to give up its sovereignty? No, no, obviously no. I mean, I think it's is uh, we are speculating um, for moving on and changing the actual uh, current uh, scenario, we would need to face much more than the current amount of deaths that we are having now. Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> and, and to be honest with you, I mean, did you guys read the news about the US today? and some of them but uh, please enlighten I mean, us it's, it's an ultimate onslaught prison riots are oh, yeah. initiated 
um, ventilators don't work. Um, people are starting to panic and disobey the uh, virus curfew, so on and so forth. I mean, these are all bad signs. These are bad, really, really prophetic bad signs for a civilization such as United States of America with a massive population but also extremely fragile on infrastructure. The moment this hits, you see, they are already racing toward a million corona cases. Once it passes a million, we are at the brink of a contagious explosion. And it no longer, we will say that, oh, remember Reza back then in the early days of coronavirus, it was just a thousand people who, de who died. No, <laughs> we are talking about hundreds of thousands at this point, if not millions. Yeah, I, uh, something that I would like to talk with you because I read uh, some threads and some comments here and there and it really annoys me and it's this uh, conspiranoic uh, attitude towards the origin of the COVID-19. Isn't conspiracy theories theories, the most exciting elements of our culture? Uh, I don't know, but I, I find... <laughs> Martin is like biting his teeth. <laughs> I find it particularly annoying when you see that they are like time consuming uh, and instead of trying to engage with the current problem, you have people like speculating about certain like nonsense. Miguel. Yeah. You you see, okay, how about this? You are fine with high precision and you are not fine with conspiracy theories. Well um <laughs> <laughs> I tell you, I mean there, there is an amazing sentence from the Friends of the Classless Society which goes, if religion was the opium of the people in the revolutionary era conspiracy theories is the crack cocaine in times of the hopelessness. <coughs> yes, yes, definitely so, yeah. It really paints a picture of the ideological landscape that we are in, which is pretty desolating. I mean, the point that you are um, trying to make is like, okay, I can see how, for example, hyperstition let's say the state of Israel or money becomes a fiction, becomes real. You manufacture almost in Nelson Goodman terms, a fiction, you create something into a fact. But the problem of conspiracy is that, yeah, it could be the case that 
eventually in a lab in Singapore, something goes wrong and suddenly we have a biohazard, I don't know, issue. But generally it makes, as Martin said, uh, it's kind of, I don't know, it's like all the processes in which we can engage in order to figure out what's going on is like a central narrative um, that that makes a, I mean, everything else uh, so irrelevant when actually everything in this super complex context is very relevant. There are things that need to be address fixed work in order to improve certain conditions but basically uh, the person who is concerned with the conspiracy is only concerned with the this hand uh, that it's uh, doing these maneuvers um, yes but but to be honest with you you should understand that a great deal of the portion of the world at this point has succumbed already to conspiracy theory. Uh, for example, Iran, Israel, uh, uh, you know, the Arabic world, um, India. They are almost convinced that this is a bioweaponry. Yeah, I know, I know, and I know that. Uh insofar as you are partaking in social media, the internet, even popular culture, you are feeding and you are habitating this version of the world in which the ontological uh, status of these conspiracy theories have certain validity. But they have a validity precisely because of the failure of those people who could actually expunge such conspiracy theories and they didn't. You see, we are in a, such a chaos where the greatest scientists, biologists, virologists, epidemiologists, haven't actually managed to fully put an end to such conspiracy theories. And then guess what? Well, conspiracy theories actually spread far more efficaciously and effectively than coronavirus. <laughs> yeah, but that's a little bit spurious. I mean, it spreads in terms of like a meme, but obviously you can be viral. Not, not just a meme. To be honest with you, meme might be for the Western culture, but for people who are living in the Asian epicenters, it's no longer a meme. It's actually an ideology entrenched fundamentally i wonder whether the question uh, you had a question miguel in, in regards to nature on david harvey's uh, text do you remember yes 
Um, um, yeah, let me try to find it. Uh, uh, one second. Eh? I don't know if we can connect this. But I, th I, well. think, I think it's quite. A, there is there is a strong connection, and I'll try to make sense of it. Um, but yeah, like basically, you were concerned that he claims. Yeah, I uh, have it here. Eh? Okay. That yeah, David Harvey doesn't believe any any longer that there is nature as such, or what, if you can read the quote, yeah, exactly. isn't this more is said? Is the Jacobin Mag uh, article by David Harvey, and is the paragraph uh, one, two, three, four, the fourth paragraph? It's quite short. I can read it. Uh, he said. I had long refused the idea of nature as outside of and separate from culture, economy, and daily life. I take a more dialectical and relational view of the metabolic relation to nature. Capital modifies the environmental conditions of its own reproduction, but does so in a context of unintended consequences like climate change and against the background of autonomous and independent evolutionary forces that are perpetually reshaping environmental conditions. There is, from this standpoint, no such thing as truly natural disaster. Viruses mutate all the time, to be sure but the circumstances in which a mutation becomes life-threatening depend on human actions. That's the quote. I think, um, I don't know, I mean, and this would be interesting because for me it connects to uh, Ray's, Ray Brasier's text on Adorno, which you were supposed to reply at some point. But for me, uh, there he makes a very clear argument following Adorno in which um, the forms of separation that, um, like the independence that we conceive of things um, emerges out of uh, social dynamics that are rooted in the exchange abstraction, which, you know, this, so this, uh, this means that the capitalist mediation mediates our access to nature. So to believe that from the perspective that we are in, in second nature, we can access fair nature, first, first nature is a form of mythologizing. So, and, and this surely is, it is, surely it is, and but this, then and this, would you be able to tell me that if there is... Sorry, Reza, let me, why do I think they are connected? Because I think Postone, for example, is very good at making the critique of this form of mythologization occurs, uh, his claim is, in anti-Semitism. When people uh, historically attribute to the, to, to the Jews those attributions of capitalism, I, like an abstract power that is disseminated all around the globe. But also these forms of uh, anti-capitalist that the 
have an emphasis on use value that they think you can access use value from the perspective of today and you fetishize you know what uh you know something that I, you can do now you can go back to nature you can just like as if you could overcome this capitalist mediation just through some kind of autonomous uh zone i agree i completely agree I completely and i think agree. this the, the conspiracy theories are uh, another form of mystification that tries to find some answer to this impossibility of understanding you know how we are entangled i disagree unfortunately on that on that point um, okay so please i would i would i'd say that you know um let's put capitalist mediation on hold will be or is there a, an encounter a contact a first-hand contact with nature that is not mediated there i is would, absolutely not i would say no i'm martin do you agree no yeah yeah okay so then we should understand that we are in a general epistemological dilemma here that might be appropriated by capitalism but so as by other kinds of ideologies and to that extent we should ask ourselves okay if our encounter with nature is always mediated and not immediate then does then does um, an escape from capitalism do us good or not or just land us in a different trap well at least it will definitely you know it will make us need to reconsider that relationship we will be able to understand the relationship perhaps what you know some people will claim in a more transparent way that's a very problematic term but at the very least we will be um depends on how it is constituted but hopefully there will be a more and here is very dodgy uh problematic territory but maybe we can get hold closer or uh understanding the process of mediation in a collective way that is not totally opaque and it does and the gains do not go for somebody else you know so we collectively understands the processes of mediation that are not you know part of these pseudo independent mechanisms sure but then I, then someone might ask you that why do we need in fact to bring up capitalism as a means of mediation at this point i mean aren't we that uh, enlightened after all these centuries to realize that every encounter with nature is in fact mediated science taught us engineering taught us 
All yeah, of these. So why yeah. do we need to go back to this goddamn fucking capitalism thing? Because it and it, because it conditions a specific form of mediation that we are not fully able to grasp. A specific, sure. But so as and there historical. are specificities, there are specificities of historical encounters with nature outside of the bounds of capitalist system that we haven't even addressed. And then, and then, but the thing is that we cannot address them without taking into account our own conditioning. Yes, that is true. That is true. That is true. That is true. But the, but the thing is that this requires probably an oscillation, a dialectical oscillation between the historical moment here and now and the general conditions of what you might call to be the mirage of immediacy, which are far more entrenched than capitalist mediation. Humans, to begin with, have a knack to mistake the mediated for the immediate even without capitalism. Yeah, but I think we are leaving things behind, a lot of things. <coughs> At first, uh, we agreed on, on the basis of how we have certain different uh, approaches towards nature. Uh, you disagree fundamentally with the aspect about conspiracy, and I think it's interesting if you um, rephrase that and you explain why? Because our audience, if there is such a thing, I think it's pretty interested in that idea. Okay, let's let's talk about, about conspiracy theories. You see, conspiracy theories, where do you think they come from? They come from cracks in the societal economic infrastructure. And the first victims of conspiracy theories are the people who are victims of socioeconomic means or systems. Think about this. At the risk of being completely controversial. So I'm going to make two examples so I don't get cancelled at this point. <laughs> so the far, first example, you, you the know, first example are... is the Persian, Persians, Iranians. So, uh, you know, it's a country full of goddamn fucking Aryans, right? Nazis. <laughs> I mean, you think Hitler is bad? Well, my friend, you haven't seen Iran. <laughs> So there are all these conspiracies about outside forces, right? But they are there for a reason. First, they are there for them to combat the incursion of Western influence 
first and foremost, but also Arab influence, you know. Um, that doesn't mean that it's wrong. It is mired. Conspiracy theories are not wrong. They are mired. What do yeah. you mean by that? Mired in the sense that they have too many elements that you can't distinguish between facts and fiction at that point. Well, but depending on what kind of conspiracy theories are we for talking example, about? Think, for example, think that, you know, um, things about uh, Britons and about Arabs, that Arabs uh, um, I'm, I'm actually using uh, this uh, highly inappropriate uh, Persian sentiment here, just to give you a clue uh, how racism and conspiracy theorism, conspiracy theory works. For example, uh, the, uh, many Iranians think that Arabs uh, basically um, hacked their Aryan genes. And for, for, for eternity, they should pay a price. And that's there, that's there. Whether you want to accept it or not, it's, it's actually entrenched in the ideological hmm. infrastructure of a regular Iranian, okay? You can think about other things, like a Jewish nose, you know? Isn't it one of the greatest examples? I mean, Sandra Gilman wrote a, a manuscript, I remember in the 90s, about the Jewish nose, and he was a scholar of Jewish studies. And the thing is that, yeah, well, you know, not all Jews have that kind of nose, you know. <laughs> but as long as there is a pattern, people believe in it. Even though that pattern is distorted and extracted by way of fundamentally biased assumptions. This is the way of conspiracy theory. There is a pattern. There is a pattern. That's why we call it a stereotype. Yeah. But that pattern is not global. It's not universal. It's not even extracted by means of impersonal scientific method. But wouldn't you say that, okay, these patterns might not be global, but that there is a global tendency to turn into them because people are feeling more and more increasingly that they don't understand what's going on. They are alone in the front of their computers. They go to YouTube. The algorithm kicks Fuck in. Fuck people. Fuck people. No. The algorithm <laughs> kicks Fuck in. Fuck people. I'm talking about algorithms. Algorithms are good, but fuck people. <laughs> Let me read you, before I go, uh, 
you know, I have said it many times, a species whose elementary school teachers, the core corps of generation building, getting paid less than a hair stylist, a race who has not even managed to leave this world behind for the skies, deserves to get canceled at the end of the movie with no pity. If there is a feel-good resolution out of this scenario, is that I hope humanity as a whole suffers greatly before it perishes for good. Let this be an exciting cautionary bedtime story for the future stories and the future species. Gottfried Ben, one of the most prophetic poets, together with Salon, called humans lazy amoebas, a slowly dancing in a cozy, in a cozy morass. Unfortunately, that's what we are. Don't get too ex overexcited about the possibility of enlightenment. Um, yeah, but still, uh, I am not convinced about the, the, the conspiracy theory. I mean, uh, I know that it, it is something that we are participating in such versions of the world, but I mean, yeah, it it uh, filters through. Um, okay. Do you believe? Place. Okay. How about this, Miguel? Do you believe that the states are equipped with ideologies of their own? Right. Yeah. 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 Okay. Then. So the moment that he puts a conspiracy theory forward that is favorable to a certain kind of a stra uh, ideology, that's when the apparatus of capture kicks in. It just snatches it and makes a grand narrative out of it. And you never know. You always thought that grand, uh, conspiracy theories are just like basically coming from a bunch of basement dweller nerds. No, that's not how it works. Estates are far more effective to capture conspiracy theories. Yeah, I agree. But the, the problem, I, I um, bluntly, the problem as I see it now is, let's say, uh, now we are facing a moment in which uh, the, the pandemic uh, is a worldwide problem and we are reading news about the china virus we are reading forms of racism and forms of engaging into uh, political backlash against the trades do uh, that we are seeing that uh, china is doing with western countries etc it's not just china it's not just china any 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 uh, state at this point has its own paradigm of 
conspiracy racism. Yeah. Let me tell you, let me tell you from yesterday experience. So after a few weeks, I ran out of my cigarettes and I went to the grocery store, a gas station. <clears throat> and there was this woman uh, on the other side of the aisle by the fridge. And you know that fridge and basically the, uh, the person who is actually uh, uh, process your goods are really far apart. <clears throat> so I, you know, I just stand behind the last person uh, in the line. And this woman told me that you are cutting the line. You know, I said, my, my sincere apologies. I didn't see you. Uh, she said, no, 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 you go first. I said, no, absolutely not. I'm, uh, you know, you, you have to go first. And she smirked at me. And the, the person who was in charge of the store uh, told this woman that you weren't even in line. And then she looked at me and this guy who is Albanian, you know, uh, coming from the Romana people. And she told us that you brought us to this country. What the fuck? I didn't even leave US for the past six years. How can I bring the virus to the country? That's because she read the tweet. <laughs> or maybe she read Cyclonopedia. <laughs> yeah, actually, yeah, yeah, yeah. She was reading Dogging tweet.
Well, to be honest with you, I I was very apologetic. Um, make sure to uh, defuse the situation. But my uh, Albanian friend, who is the owner of the store, got really angry. She, uh, I mean, he told her that if I see you, your sorry ass in this store once again, I will kick you myself. And she was a black woman, by the way. That's a blind woman. <laughs> they are usually more racist than the white people. <laughs> I guess because of the accents. I, I think so, yeah. Oh my goodness, this, this world is fucked. Wow, I told you, I told you, nuke the shit out of it before it's too late. Wow. America is truly, truly turning into the sewage that we already know it was. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's not surprising. It's, it's just simply not surprising. I mean, the level of desperation is going to be extreme. Uh, but do you see like a civil war happening? No. It won't happen in America. Maybe in some other places. But in America, the solution as easy as Iran. They will bring the National Guards in. And let's see who the fuck becomes naughty at that point. Hmm. Thank <laughs> you. 
But, but yeah, I mean, yes, I told Kristen that, you know, to be honest with you, since I have come to the U.S., I never had any sort of racism. Yeah, sure, a little bit of it. But never like this, that someone screams to my face that you guys brought this here. I mean, what the fuck? I don't even have a passport to move, leave the country. How the fuck did I bring it here? <laughs> fuck you. That's depressing. That's so depressing. Yeah. But I, I don't know. I don't know if... And you know, that, that, that a stupid person was going to fill her uh, car and she was buying a bottle of milk for weeks she did not have enough cash <laughs> i mean what the fuck do you really need milk at the time of coronavirus you idiot no <laughs> mm, yeah another yeah, interesting point is whether in the military then if the military revolts if that you know breaks up well it, it can it can but to be honest with you, um, military is the last, uh, what you might call to be, survival line mm. of a state. If it fails, then the state fails. It usually doesn't. Okay. I, I mean, you are <coughs> giving a lot of importance to this historical moment. So, and in terms of periodizing, I mean, I really found interesting that in the last session you talked that we should have thought about this centuries ago. So, I want you to expand into how much of a historical cut this is. What form of periodization are we talking about? I mean, you are putting into question some of the alignments and I'm no, I wouldn't. I wouldn't. I wouldn't question enlightenment. I would say that. But you acknowledge definitely going to be the end of globalization phase one. Do you think so? Are you so sure? I think so. Yes. So we won't see after the summer, let's say, a plateau in which commerce global movement and so is restored inverted commas and after it will be restored it will be restored surely because of because they are not supposed to trigger market or economy it will be restored for sure but then we will see in the course of a couple of years uh triggers <coughs> safety triggers introduced to the process of globalization not only by governments but also by mega corporations what do you mean by safety triggers let me be honest they say that yes we are still in the same world pretending holding that to that mirage of the old world. But they are doing sneaky shit in the background, undermining version one 
of globalization game. By creating restrictions that we couldn't even imagine in our lifetime. But what kind of restrictions do you have in mind? Economic, trade, travel, so many things. I mean, uh, basically the, menu, the menu is at this point is full and open for manipulation. But the thing is, for me, when, when these days we are thinking about this, what's going to occur with the transcourse of capitalism, uh, basically, after, after the first dramatic moments of these three months or, or even six months, but uh, how um, production is going to be... Um, reintegrated in our day resumed and reintegrated yeah. yes because well, to we, be honest with you uh, production <clears throat> as a person who has worked in factories um, production can be resumed as fast as possible but the thing is that what is really important is not really the production chain it is what you might call to be the correlation between produced and uh, dissipation and uh, basically, uh, what you might call to be uh, desire, or for the better word, or for the lesser word, desire to actually buy such a stuff at this point. You see, this is this is the this is I think this, that's a scary thing. That yes, the productive will be resumed once the once uh, the scenario is over as soon as possible. But the way that the product interacts with economy at the state level and at also at the individual level won't be the same. Yeah, but uh, I mean, for example, we were talking about uh, introducing the themes of uh, the bubonic plague or the big plagues like the Sp Spanish flu or the turbulent period in, in London in the 50s, the London Blitzar. What's, what's the name in the 50s? The London Fog, no? Well, yeah, the London Fog. Yeah, mm -hmm. London fog in 1952, uh, in which, by the way... 12, Have you noticed that all of these plagues yeah. originate not from the virus itself, but mostly from human arrogance? In a sense, think about the Great Plague of London, one of the greatest parables of all time. 
time. So we know that Protestants had this idea that, you know, plague rats are actually representatives of anti-Catholic proletaria, right? You know, kind of kitsch Marxist trope, 101. The thing is that, uh, so during the Great Plague of London, there was also a, a massive fire. Yeah. And people started to see swarms of rats moving from one neighborhood to another. So how on earth, if your roof is on fire, rats are escaping? Because rats are supposed to be in the goddamn fucking basement, right? You know, that's, that's what the, the, the fiction tells us, that rats are basement dwellers. But the thing is that there is an irony here. The majority of houses built in that time were thatched to roof. Essentially, one of the main food resources for rats. So rats actually don't live in your goddamn basement. They live in your roof. And humanity was so arrogant that saw animals beneath it in the basement, it just couldn't imagine that rats actually live in a level beyond. And that's why the great plague of London, the great fire, basically exploded the plague rate at that point. All rats coming from the roof. It's just a granary for them. Yeah. I am thinking about a, a, a scenario in which even after a huge amount of death, after two or three years when we had two, three waves of different mutations of the virus. Basically, the circulation of people and commodities maybe is mediated by some form of, yeah, um, immunopassport, but, uh, yeah, continuous. Uh, I don't know how, uh, as you said, uh, globalization first uh, how did you say first kind of step of globalization is finished is done yes yeah it's, it's, it's just because then we are going to be controlled in in terms of risk assessment of potential forthcoming epidemics or or just that uh, we are going to pay attention of the fragility of a system. Absolutely, absolutely, absolutely. I mean, uh, 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 to use an exaggerated phrase, I'd say that economy will be a subfield of epidemiology. 
like during the Cold uh, War with the yeah. potential scenario of a nuclear yes. war. Yes. Because I was thinking about this, this possibility, okay? Uh, epidemiology suddenly is an attractor for geopolitics, like the potential nuclear war was. Absolutely. But, but unlike Cold War, uh, this would be a fundamentally different scenario, uh, which we haven't actually uh, met yet. Uh, we are talking about, uh, so Cold War is essentially game theoretic in its nature. Uh, it's teleological, fundamentally. But here we are dealing with what Richard Taylor, uh, in his response to Norbert Wiener, uh, said a disease, a catastrophe without any telus. His example, which I think that this example should be used for plague, for virus, for rats, for that matter. His example was a wire torpedo or a heat-seeking missile used by the German uh, Germans in, in World War II. He asked Norbert Wiener, what is exactly teleological about a heat-seeking missile or, for that matter, a wired torpedo? There is nothing teleological about it even though it moves toward the target. He said that all such talks of teleolo teleology that we are ascribing to such weaponries or enemies is metaphorically based in comparison to the way that we think about the furniture of the world. One of the greatest letters of all time, to be honest with you. Well, but um, <coughs> maybe they are not teleological, but they are teleonomical. So obviously, uh, we have the impression or uh, we consider the apparent uh, purpose of the missile, uh, the projectile following a target using heat. So it's like the uh, the role of uh, conspiracy theory regarding uh, ideology, as you said before. I mean, yes. if, I, if I have to consider that, we have to consider that. Yeah the projectile is following the heat source, even though it's just an apparent uh, uh, goal-seeking uh, trajectory. You were going to say something, Martin. Yeah, uh, I'm trying to think of um, forms of thought that can help us to try to make sense of the current reality and kind of continuing with the analogy of war. I mean, I'm, I'm thinking of... Um, John Boyd, the military academic 
who had this uh, very long slide lecture, the discourse of winning and losing, in which uh, he portrayed a form of war in which you just try to confuse the enemy. And the problem with this form of war is that you never win, but you always have the first step. You're always ahead in the step. And I mean, at least for me, it really helped me to understand um, the Iraq war and the Afghanistan war. And, um, and it reminds me also to Vladislav Surkov, the um, advisor of Putin, uh, that he is influenced from conceptual art and avant-garde theater, and he tried to choreograph a form of uh, confusion in which he will give money to NGOs uh, that you know uh, help refugees, but also to neo-Nazis. So it will generate a form of uh, situation in which the the people will be confused and look for some kind of savior that it will be put in, for example. So yes, yes, of course. This kind of territory is like the perfect ground to seed uh, conspiracy theories. So it's like so it's, it's a petri dish for conspiracy theories. Yeah. <laughs> so, the, so the question is, I mean, these are forms of thought that can help you to navigate in this situation, but to push it farther. I'm trying to think what kind of forms of thought can be helpful to not push it farther, but to trying to basically understand and do something about Cut it. Cut at the joints, as Plato would have said it. Cut at the joints. And in the last years, is there any forms of thought that you think have been able to do this? I'm not aware of any of that, unfortunately. And the following question will be, why do you think that's the case? Like, wh wh why is it that, you know, uh, that, that I'm, I'm trying to understand this as a historical... Yes, sure, sure, absolutely. I, I can understand that. My modest answer would be that I don't know. I just really don't know. My... Conceited answer would be that precisely because we are all subsumed within a state ideology at this point. Okay. And hence, everything that we think is always pitted against the kind of comfort, coziness, ideologies, entrenched dogmas that we have. But this, this is really interesting because then you have changed your position from the times of the reading group. This event had made changed your position? To be honest with you, yes. I mean, if you have followed my Twitters, you can see that there is someone in the making that is not intelligence and spirit. Yes, I still do believe in all the jazz, the enlightenment jazz. But I think this crisis showed us something far, far 
more profound. But I am interested in discovering what do you find so profound that it's different from, uh, yeah, I mean, different evolutionary moments as a society within history, such as, yeah, the Spanish flu, the Black Plague. None of, none of this. You see, okay, sure. Uh, from a historical perspective, all such diseases and pandemics um, within their historical moments uh, created a particular crisis. But now, you should understand that as civilization gets more entrenched, more technological advancements come, which, again, are getting entrenched, so on and so forth. I think we are in a far worse position <clears throat> than people who endured the Spanish plague or people who endured the bubonic plague. We have media, we have technology, we have a semblance of what you might call to be an open, open governancy. And when they meet the virus, they have a fundamental different reaction than, for example, in Middle Ages, you know, feudalism, when it got the bubonic plague. Or, for example, when at the end of World War I, people contracted Spanish flu. You should always, as I mentioned, what is important is not just the virus, not the pandemic, but the interaction between a historical phase of society and economy with the virus. Yeah, but I, as well, I'm, <coughs> we have the, the human fatality in terms of deaths. But as well, we can think about 2016. Fatality really doesn't count, though, at the end of the day. You know, just <laughs> as Zola would have said, a few more spilled blood, big deal. Well, but uh, I mean, <laughs> it's feeding media, it's feeding uh, our conversations about numbers. Uh, it's something that, uh, yeah, it, it is oiling the engine, if you want. Yes, it's lubricating the, yeah. the, the narrative. Yes, I, I agree with that. Yes. But for example, if I think about 2016 with the Brexit referendum and Trump election, I can see how the, um, yeah, the, the moment in which we started to think in general terms about fake news, about the massive failure of Western democracies, it is as crucial for me as this is in terms of configuring this new decade or this new moment after, let's say, a new millennium. We have sure. September 11. Now we are facing this massive failure of the idea of Western democracy. And now we are... Uh, we are but, uh, to be honest with you, uh, Miguel, and I'm sure that uh, uh, Martin might have something uh, to say about this. Do you really think uh, that this is just highlighting the failure of uh, Western democracy? Well, I mean, look at Iran. 
Look at the Middle Eastern no, countries. No, 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 absolutely. I agree. No, I just mentioned um, the Trump election and the Brexit referendum as a form of uh, emphasis for certain liberal uh, audiences in which they could see themselves reflected in this failure in 2016. In terms of the pandemic, I don't see this as a result of a deterministic process that started in, let's say, four years ago. No, not at all. I sure, see the sure. catastrophe. Okay. I, I see, I see, I see. Maybe I see. other kind of attractors were at play for creating this. And that's why I think it's interesting to think what was beyond our capacities or what was beyond our risk assessment uh, that it's far more interesting than uh, the ideological weightening of certain... As I, as I mentioned to you, uh, our risk assessments uh, before this uh, the outbreak was more like the medieval doctor who thinks rats only dwell in the basement. So as long as you take care of the basement, nothing bad is going to happen. Well, no, my friend. Rats also happen to live in your roof. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and it's a very powerful image, but... Um, and do we consider this this roof or this basement or the numbers for the disease, so to speak, as you were, you were saying the other day as a dimensionless figure? Or there is a progress, there is an evolution, because you seem to deny uh, nowadays there is um, a tendency, while you explain and you address certain problems, to see uh, stuff in an almost yeah, dimensionless uh, canvas in which, uh, I mean, I need to consider, I need to think that I am constructing the future. Things are evolving. So if I have to recapitulate what's going on till now, I need to provide an account that is going to be less rich than the account that I will give you tomorrow. Uh, and you know, That's the work of a good prophet, I must say. <laughs> you don't want to give the bad news all at once. You have to unfold it. Yeah, but it's... Um, <clears throat> It's something that if time has a physical dimension, you would say this is pointless. It doesn't matter, really. Yes. So that's quite bleak. It's like... If you haven't got the bleakness out of what I read earlier on, then... I don't have anything more to say. Yes, the situation is unfortunately extremely not bleak. It's macabre. Hmm. You just yeah. need to put a death's head on it at this point. 
Uh, <laughs> I mean, uh, now we can go extremely off off topic from here. Uh, Martin wanted to say something, I think. Yeah, so it's the death of humanism and inhumanism. Uh, I, I never signed up for this scenario. <laughs> I never signed up with this scenario. It's just like, yes, but unfortunately that is becoming a palpable reality as we are moving forward. But and, I'm, and the birth of? I'm going to read a poem as the final uh, uh, section of our today podcast by Gottfried Ben. I think okay, this That's poem a... should should give you a little bit of insight as what is yet to come. What's the title of the poem? Uh, I've forgotten. It's um, um, one what? second, uh, one second, one second. I have forgotten. Uh, I, I know the German title, but I don't know the English title. Um, a woman in Berlin. Okay, great. Okay. Shall we start? Yeah, yeah, please. The poorest women from Berlin. 13 kids in one and a half rooms, whores, prisoners, outcasts, crook their bodies and whimper. Nowhere is there so much wailing, nowhere are pain and suffering so utterly ignored as here. Here something always wails. Push woman, do you understand? You're not here just for fun, don't stretch a thing out. Pushing also brings the shit out. You're not here just to rest. You've got to work. It won't come by itself. Finally it comes, bluish and small, urine and feces, applied as a salve. From 11 beds with tears and blood, Whimpers and painful salutes from just two eyes bursts a core of jubilation to heaven on high through this tiny fleshy morsel. All things will pass, misery and hope together. And one day it dies, gasping in pain. Twelve others still lie in this room. We cannot stick to any previous values. We need to find that trick.
We were 